Peace girl, peace The English translation of this Cree prayer song by Carmel Crowchild. All things holy under the sun bless me. All things holy under the sun bless creation. You are listening to One Week in August, written and read by Kelly Carius. Hello, my friendly folks. Welcome to episode five. It's November 23rd, 2020. The world's a little heavy right now. My work at Musquachis has been um, put on lockdown with only essential services happening. So I'm having appointments and connecting with people for counseling sessions by phone and on the computer. It's not the same, um, it's not the same especially, I mean, it's not the same for anyone, but in First Nations culture, connection, kinship is so important, and I am holding in my heart all the people in the community who are feeling sick or who are needing to isolate or who have family members who are ill. Uh, So I smudge and I pray for everyone there and I hold space. Our reading today, this crazy book, One Week in August, isn't going to lighten anything up at all. (laughs) We are going to see if we can figure out what happened at the party, what happened to the woman who was killed, who she is, why she was killed, what's going to happen to these children. So, I don't know, if you're feeling dark, carry on listening. And I think at the end of this, we will have some time for some big hoorays. Join the Facebook page. I'll put up a post where you can post your own hoorays, the great things that are happening in your life during this crazy time. Now, on to the story. Back at Indos, Linda and Jimmy supervised the collection of the evidence while other officers took to the streets to look for any of the partygoers. The Burton RCMP had enough repeat customers that they knew where to find a lot of their folks. Hunting in the bright streets filled with darkness and the houses filled with pain, they were sure they'd be able to find some of them. While Linda supervised the officers collecting evidence, Jimmy was on his cell phone to me. Anna, I need to know if you saw anyone in particular when you were parked outside the house. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I knew three of the people that passed by. There were a lot more than that, but everything happened pretty fast. I can imagine. Who are the three that you think you saw? Sully, Jesse, Jamie. Oh, the three musketeers. Thanks. Talk to you later. Calling the officers on the cell phone instead of the radio, Jimmy updated them on the need to find these three. Hanging up, he headed towards the kitchen, 
to interrupt the gathering of Linda, Burns, and Leslie. Jimmy, Linda said, we've got some ID here. Jimmy walked over to the table to see a fan of 20 or so fraudulent driver's licenses. Next to the ID were evidence bags of drug paraphernalia. Between the fake ID and the drugs, it's too bad someone had to get murdered before we could get in here, Barnes commented. We're not in preventative services, buddy. Critical intervention, that's what we do best. Doesn't get much more critical than this, Leslie shot back. Barnes towered over Leslie, his soft features set in a humorous expression. Barnes was 43 and had been on the force for more than 20 years. He'd spent most of his time down south and had only been in Burton for about two years. Barnes has a great deal of integrity. He is quietly intense and is sometimes underestimated. He makes sure he knows what he's saying before he says it out loud. It's not very often that he's critical. There's more to Barnes than meets the eye. Frank Leslie is one of the officers trained under the Aboriginal RCMP training program. Frank has strong values and challenges people to make change. He is one of the key liaison people for First Nations people within Burton and on the surrounding reserves. The joy shines on his face when he talks to children and tells them what their lives could be. He challenges everyone, even his bosses and the white man, to be better. He is an inspiration to some and an irritation to others. Leslie and Barnes complement each other. They investigate complaints like a pointer and a hunter working together, each anticipating the other's next move. While the partners continued their banter and Linda looked on, Jimmy's thoughts flashed. Things can always get more critical. Jimmy felt a chill down his back. His old grandmother would tell him that someone walked over his grave He didn't mention his feeling of unnamed dread. Linda met us at the entrance doors to the station, having left Jimmy at Indo's to carry on with the search. Mariah and Jonas looked around with wide eyes at the hustle and bustle of the RCMP station. Through the glass door, to the left of the reception station, was a large office space. Some of the desks had freestanding cubicle walls, others had none. Several officers were seated on chairs or leaning against the desks, using the phones. Some officers were moving from desk to desk. Others were seeking information from the filing cabinets in the rear of the office space. The mechanistic clanging of the garage doors somewhere in the back of the building seemed to echo throughout. A row of doors could be seen just to the right of the reception area. On the reception desk, the radio crackled messages to switchboard. Linda and Helen walked ahead of me and the children. Helen briefing Linda about the virtually non-existent communication with the children. I was holding their hands and we walked towards the row of doors into the soft room. The soft room is called that because it is intended to be a more gentle interview space than a regular interview room. A regular room would likely have a table and straight-backed chairs. This room had a comfy couch and two living room chairs. A coffee table with drawers contained items that might be used in an interview, such as anatomically correct dolls or crayons and paper. Cameras were placed behind two almost invisible holes, with each camera angled to a different direction, covering the whole room. A multi-direction microphone was wired into the side of the coffee table. 
all this gadgetry allowed interviews with children to be recorded in the hope that the interview would suffice and a child would not be exposed to having to give court testimony if charges were laid. Additionally, one wall contained a two-way mirror, allowing observers to stand in the room next to the, stop, next to the soft room. Notes of the interviews were made by a recorder to accompany the videotaped statements. The children were settled on the couch and sat quietly. Mariah was firmly holding on to her brother's hand. Linda sat in the chair across from them. Helen and I remained in the room, hoping to be able to help keep the siblings comfortable while they were interviewed. Hi, kids. My name is Linda. What are your names? Mariah, and this is Jonas. Hi, Mariah. Hi, Jonas. I need to ask you some questions about what happened today. Is that okay with you? Jonas shook his head, while Mariah uttered a quiet, No. Linda had been prepared for this and knew it would be coming. How does it feel to talk to us? She asked. Bad. Again, only Mariah spoke and so softly that I almost couldn't hear her. Why does it feel bad to talk to us? Not allowed to talk. Do you feel unsafe here? Yes. What feels unsafe? Linda was expertly keeping her voice calm and staying away from leading questions. Not allowed to talk. Is there anything you're allowed to tell us? This was met by silence, as Mariah appeared to be thinking about it. Still speaking gently and softly, Linda asked, How about if I ask questions and you just answer the ones you can? Would that be okay? Mariah looked at Linda as though Linda was finally getting it. Yes, she said. Her grip on her brother's hand loosened visibly. Intense. Very. We sat regrouping, mostly in silence. The kids had been transported to foster care by Elizabeth, the social work student who was nearing the end of her term with the department. She was a gentle soul and had spent about an hour just playing with the children and eating popsicles after the interview was finished. During the silence, Helen made coffee and gathered what food she could find in the fridge and cupboard that Linda directed her to. She came back with a bizarre conglomeration of healthy and unhealthy food, an apple, two bananas, pickles, olives, and a handful of Hershey's Kisses. Energy, brain food, eat up. We have to debrief this interview and see what we've got. Some grumbles, but I knew the group was glad to have Helen refocus the situation. I've also got to have a quick and dirty transcription for the protection file. Mark's going to want to see it right away. Where do we even start? Linda asked. That was so bizarre, I don't think I even remember everything that was said. I think we should watch the tape again, start the transcription, See what we see. There may be stuff there that we all missed, Helen said. As Linda was readying the tape, Jimmy burst through the door. How'd it go? Linda didn't even look up. It was shitty, I said. We got information, but it was shitty. I could feel the tears threaten behind my eyes and chided myself in the brain. 
I had to tell myself to get off the pity pot. I didn't have to experience it. The kids did. I would have to save the tears for later. I busied myself getting coffee for everyone and grabbed a big glass of water while I was up. You can't cry and guzzle water at the same time. Helen spoke quickly. I wonder how the kids are settling in at Paul and Arlene's. Paul and Arlene will be great, Linda replied as she started the tape and Jimmy settled in for the show. As the obligatory static played through on the tape, the electricity in the room was as thick as the sidewalk next to a power plant. I had to mindfully try to stay focused. The kids, looking even more small and frail than in real life, appeared on the tape. Mariah again holding her brother's hand. She was definitely the protector in the family. Fear showed through the children like a silhouette on a sheer curtain. We needed to pay attention to everything in the interview. Body language, words, tone, everything. The tape, even just this short beginning, brought back the bombardment of emotion that I felt while being involved in the live interview. I began to wonder what my role would be in the situation. As the caseworker on record, along with Helen, whose case would this actually be? I found myself wanting to make sure that I didn't end up being cut out of these children's lives. Linda's voice cut in, greeting the children gently. It was obvious from the beginning of the tape that, although Mariah had been told not to talk, she sure wanted to. Where were you this afternoon? We were at my dad's. What's your dad's name? Benny Indo. It was like there was an expert witness trapped in this little girl's soul. The fear was still present, but her voice was clear and would be strong enough to be easily picked up by the tape now. Linda switched to open questions, working to gather as much information as possible from Mariah without leading the questioning in any way. What happened at your dad's? Linda asked. A quick flash of tears appeared in Mariah's eyes. Jonas simply looked blank. That was my mom, you know. My mom was on the floor, all bloody and shot. Where's my mom? During the interview, panic had flooded my chest as I suddenly realized I'd taken for granted that these children would know that the person in the room was killed. Linda, not wanting to distract from the statement being taken, softly said, Let's talk about what happened this afternoon, and then we'll talk about how your mom is doing. These poor kids are going to experience some serious psychological problems from this situation. Jonas, staring blankly ahead, no response to any of the questions. Post-traumatic stress? I wondered how soon we'd be able to get counseling for the kids. Sometimes when children experience abuse, counseling can be delayed until a criminal trial takes place. We were going to need to hire a private psychologist with training and court procedures if we were going to try to get counseling going soon. A shock jolted through me as I suddenly realized that I was exactly the same age as Mariah when my dad died. Does your child come home from school crying? Do you even really know what's going on in your child's life? Has your child told you about bullying? And have you no idea how to approach it? Have you already gone to the school and it seems like they're not going to do anything? At no such thing as a bully. We share the tools 
with parents to strengthen themselves and their children so they can deal with any situation that life throws at them. Find more information about parent memberships at nosuchthingasabully.com. A new session of certification training is starting on December 2nd. Uh, this No Such Thing as a Bully certification training will teach you how to teach the skills that prevent bully actions and victim responses to others, and you'll really incorporate them into your own life as well. Hit me up if you want to learn more. Now, back to the story. What did you see at your dad's? We were in the bedroom, Jonas and me. We don't like parties. Bad things happen at parties. What happened while you were in the bedroom? It was noisy, and it got noisier in the hallway. Jonas and me, we went in the closet. There's blankets in there, and it's warm. We like to sleep in there, me and Jonas, but we were scared. Jonas was really scared. Then some people were in the bedroom. Who was in the bedroom, Mariah? A pregnant pause from Mariah. Two. Two guys, and then my mom came in. Do you know who the people that came in were? Another laboring pause. Don't know, me and Jonas, we don't know. Could you see them? Was peeking not supposed to peek? Was one of the men your dad, Mariah? A closed question as Linda revealed her desire to know exactly who was in that room. And yet another pause, a long one. No, my dad was at the party, but not then. He left. What did she know that she wasn't telling us? Linda had decided not to push it. There was too much she, she still needed to know to risk a situation where Mariah stopped talking. What happened in the bedroom, Mariah? There was banging, so I looked out from the blankets through the door. Mom was screaming. One of the guys was on top of her. I didn't help her. And shooting, he had a big gun. Mariah began crying. With her hands over her ears, she rocked back and forth, repeating, I didn't help her. I didn't help her. During the interview, Helen and I had both started towards the couch, but Linda held her hand up, stopping us. On the screen, Linda handed Mariah a tissue, but didn't touch her or comfort her in any other way. My heart was hurting for her, and I wanted to stop the whole thing, tell her it wasn't her fault. I ached to tell her she had no responsibility for this action that had been taken in front of her by idiotic adults, to tell her that there are safe places in the world and that we were going to help her and Jonas find them. But the system doesn't always allow for the comforting of children. And while watching the tape, I bit back the tears again, getting up to get another glass of water. Sitting down, I realized Linda had switched tracks again. Mariah, what's your father's name again? Benny Indo. And your mother's name? Laura Running Bear. As Mariah said her mother's name, her face began to crumple and her eyes began to tear. Realizing her mistake, Linda had quickly tried to recover and switched to another topic. Do you have grandparents, Mariah? Yes. Mariah began to recover also, and we could see the interview would go on for at least a few more questions. Mariah's face softened as she talked about her grandma and grandpa. 
Was this finally a safe place for her to talk about? But then a downturn, as Mariah mentioned that her Uncle Brady lived with them too. Uncle Brady is bad. I try to stay away from him, keep Jonas away. Not allowed to talk about that. Linda didn't push this point. Sexual abuse, perhaps? Maybe related to the murder? Maybe not? So much for another safe place. And we now knew the children could not be placed with their grandparents until we knew what was or was not going on there. Linda directed Mariah back to the party. Do you know who else was at the party? A lot of people that I don't know who they are. Sometimes we watch out the window. We don't come out of the bedroom. We didn't see anybody in the house, just the bedroom, but we're not supposed to peek. Please don't tell my dad. Who are the two men in the bedroom? Mariah looked down. Don't know. She was quick to add, not dad or Uncle Brady. Too quick? She squeezed her eyes shut and hunched her shoulders. Do you think you would know them if you saw them again? Maybe me and Jonas were not too sure. I've noticed that Jonas doesn't talk, Mariah. How do you know if he would know if he doesn't tell you? I just know, Mariah replied. Will Jonas talk to us too, Mariah? A panicked look shot across Mariah's face. No, 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 she bellowed. Linda was taken aback by this reaction from Mariah. Mariah's nose were followed by a couple of short screams. A switch took place. Her face went blank and she began running in small circles while Jonas curled up into a ball on the couch. The interview was clearly over and had ended badly. Something had to happen to calm the situation and Helen and I had taken over. I went to Jonas on the couch and rocked him gently. Helen helped Mariah until she calmed. Helen convinced them to sit with her on the carpet and pulled out a couple of dolls from their soft room's cupboard. The situation stabilized, but it was clear there would be no more information from in coming from the kids this afternoon. Afternoon? Still. I looked at my watch. It felt like I'd lived through a hundred days and nights since I was sitting in my car at Indo's place. The tape came to an end and the silence returned. Finally, Linda said, Will Paul and Arlene know that they shouldn't be talking to the kids about this? and that they need to make notes of anything they say spontaneously about the case? They know, Helen said. I told them when I called them to see if they'd accept the placement. We'll call them again when we get back to the office and see how things are going. Over another coffee, we pondered what might have happened that afternoon. Where was Indo? Was he there and Mariah was protecting him? What was Laura doing back on the scene? We knew now from past contact information on the files that Laura Running Bear and Benny Indo were an on-again, off-again kind of couple. Benny was frequently in trouble with the law and was known to be a dealer. There had been various protection complaints against Laura, not only about Mariah and Jonas, but also about an older child who had been placed for adoption prior to the birth of Mariah and Jonas. Indo couldn't accept Laura's oldest, resulting in her handing him over to the government when Indo wouldn't stop abusing him. The police had been intermittently involved in domestic violence complaints in their relationship, and there had been extensive involvement of other child protection workers. There were all kinds of drug use and consequences listed too. While Indo was incarcerated, Laura had moved to Alberta 
essentially abandoning the kids. Why would she come back? Was Indo that much of a pull for her? Some women just didn't know how to pick their men very well. The number of times women would choose their men over their children also astounded me. I often thought I was pretty screwed up, but I would never do that. There was still a lot more information needed. After writing out our statements, we went our separate ways. Helen and I went back to the office while Jimmy and Linda stayed to continue coordinating officers for the door-to-door interviews and determining who else they needed to question. Thank you for listening, my friendly folks with an X. I've had fun reading these sections as dark as they may be. And I want you to look for the the group one week in August on Facebook. And let's talk about some hoorays, some things that are going right while you are maybe isolating at home or are an essential worker or are just trying to live your life the best way that you know how. Let me know how you're doing. Join the Facebook page one week in August, and let's meet back here on Wednesday for Episode 6.